On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The sermon being read this morning was prepared by Pastor Rob Shooten of the Canadian Reformed Church at Elder Grove, B.C. Congregation of Christ, does the church understand the glory of Jesus Christ? Do we really grasp how great his power is? Does the Jesus we think of in our minds and the Jesus we trust in our hearts make us tremble in fear and reverence? Or is he sort of a diminished and domesticated Jesus who doesn't really stir us in the depths of our being? Is the Jesus you know great enough to grab your attention, to fill the horizons of your life and command the full devotion of your heart? Or is he just a little Jesus who can be safely ignored or put on the margins of your life? Such questions are important because what we think of Christ is related to how intensely we worship him and to what degree we trust and follow him. A small Jesus generates but little affection, but awareness of his true greatness brings forth deep adoration and well-grounded faith. So let let us give our hearts and minds to our text, which is summarized with this theme, through the calming of the storm at sea, Christ reveals his glory. One, the threatening danger, two, the amazing deliverance, And three, the emerging doxology. Through the calming of the storm at sea, Christ reveals his glory, and we consider first the threatening danger. About 30 years ago, two Jewish brothers made an amazing find on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. During a time of low water due to drought, they were exploring a newly exposed beach when they stumbled upon the remains of an ancient boat. Eventually, the boat was removed from the beach and placed in a museum it turned out that the boat was about 2,000 years old. You can find lots of information about this boat in Wikipedia, but for our purposes this morning, the thing I want to stress is just how small and fragile this boat was. It measures only about 30 feet long and 9 feet wide and is only a couple of feet deep. By our standards, it was a small boat. It wouldn't hold more than 10 to 15 people. While it was in such a small, fragile boat, that our Lord Jesus and his disciples were sailing on that day long ago on the Sea of Galilee. It had been a long and busy day for Jesus. For many long hours, he had been teaching people about the coming of the kingdom of God. Now he is tired. As the boat sails eastward, Jesus falls asleep on a cushion in the rear of the boat. Probably this cushion was more like a sandbag, the sort of thing that could be used for a ballast in a sailboat. As the boat moves eastward, a great windstorm comes over the lake. We can imagine perhaps a sudden thunderstorm which would generate strong winds and big waves. We probably shouldn't think here of massive waves of 40 or 50 feet, such as occur on the open ocean. The Sea of Galilee is actually quite a small lake, 
and the storms that do happen here are not like the mighty hurricanes coming into, say, the U.S. mainland from the Caribbean. Still, though, you can imagine waves of five or six feet being a tremendous threat to this small boat and the men in it. The boat is filling with water faster than they can bail it out again. These are seasoned fishermen who have seen a lot of weather over the years, but they are afraid. They think they are about to go down with their boat. In our mind's eye, we see 12 men in the boat with Jesus. But who are these 12 men? Why are there 12 of them? The answer is that these 12 men are the nucleus of God's renewed Israel. As Israel had 12 tribes, so these 12 men will be the foundation of God's church gathered from Jews and Gentiles. And so, who is really in the boat with Jesus if not the church? For this reason, preachers and theologians and artists in the period of the early church saw in our text an image of the church. They made connections between our text and Noah and the ark. They said, when you get baptized, God puts you on the ark. When you are on the ark, you can expect trouble. Baptized believers can expect big storms. They can count on powerful winds and mighty waves to come sweeping over them. What is life in the church congregation if not a constant battle? It's a never-ending battle against temptation and compromise. It's a constant struggle against evil spirits. It's a relentless war against bad doctrine. It's a fight to stay pure and faithful. At times, it seems like overwhelming wind and floods of persecution are going to destroy us. As Psalm 124 says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. The flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Over us would have gone the raging waters. Powerful winds, surging waves of oppression, temptation, compromise, and false doctrines sweeping over us, trying to bring us down. That's what we face every day in the boat of the church. It would be overwhelming and frankly terrifying if it were not for the fact that Jesus is with us in the boat. Without him, we would never reach our desired haven. So we come to our second point, the amazing deliverance. The disciples are indeed terrified, and so they make their way to Jesus, who is asleep in the rear of the boat. You might wonder how this is possible. How can the Messiah sleep through the storm? The answer must be that Jesus himself has perfect faith in God, his Father. He has a mission to complete, and he knows that his Father will keep him safe in order to accomplish his work. His work as Messiah won't be undone by some storm at sea. So he sleeps, serene in the confidence of his father. As Psalm 4 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. But now he was woken up by the shouts of his disciples. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In Matthew's account of this same event, the disciples cry out to Jesus with the words, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. So the disciples are complaining to Jesus, but they are also praying to him. They want him to rescue them from a crisis that has come upon them. This is a crisis beyond the ability of any sailor to handle, but the disciples reach out to Jesus with the hope that he can do something. And he does. He wakes up and rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, Peace, be still. And so it happened. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. It all happened immediately upon the command of Jesus. This is an astonishing miracle, the likes of which the disciples have never seen. 
Jesus had done great things before, but nothing on this scale. This is a mind-blowing marvel. If Jesus has authority and power over the storm and sea, that changes everything they knew about Jesus. Even though they had already been thinking great thoughts of Jesus, they now realize that someone even greater than they had imagined is in their midst. These disciples were Jewish believers who knew the scriptures. And from those scriptures, they knew there was only one person who could still the storms and calm the waves. That person was Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one and only creator of the world. Only the creator of the world could calm the great winds and surging floods. He was the one who had created order in the beginning, and only he could restore, sorry, and only he could restore order when it was disturbed. Psalm 65 celebrates God as the one who by his strength stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 89 says of the Lord, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. God is the one who keeps things in creation under control. The most incredibly powerful forces in his creation, as well as the most powerful rebellious people and and institutions, are completely subservient to his will. Psalm 107 paints a picture for us of Jewish sailors out at sea going through a storm. Just like the disciples in the Sea of Galilee, these sailors are experiencing great terror as the mighty waves overwhelm their ship. And just like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, these sailors cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and then God acts. We read in verse 29, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. With all those psalms in their hearts and minds, the disciples can only be astonished at what Jesus has done. By a few spoken words of command, he has calmed the storm. Jesus, they realize, is so great that he can not only heal diseases and cast out demons, but can also calm tremendous upheavals in nature. He has power over the whole creation of God. Obviously, Jesus is true man. He's just like us in every respect. We see that from the fact that he falls asleep on a pillow after a long day. And yet, he's also much more than a true man. He's a person who can command wind and sea. If this Jesus preaches that the kingdom of God is coming, then certainly he also has the power to make that kingdom a reality. After the miracle, Jesus drives home the point. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Asking the question, why are you so afraid, might seem absurd. Who wouldn't be afraid when their boat is about to be swamped? If you're on the ocean and 50-foot waves are crashing down on your ship, would you be sane if you weren't afraid? Still, though, Jesus really does say, why are you so afraid? Faith and fear are seen by Christ as opposites. Think about a congregation. If the disciples really knew who was with them in the boat, would they be afraid? More than once, Jesus says to people, do not fear, only believe. For example, in Mark 5, verse 36. When faith connects with the sheer greatness, power, love, and compassion of our Savior, then fear loses its hold. Then disciples like us can live with boldness and confidence because we know one thing for sure. This ship is never going down. Do you believe that congregation? Despite the troubles that sweep over the church over the centuries, are you confident that this ark in which God has placed you will remain afloat and will carry you safely to our desired haven? Do you believe that Christ's church will always remain in this world? 
Article 27 of the Belgian Confession states, this holy church is preserved by God against the fury of the whole world, although for a while it may look very small and as extinct in the eyes of man. What about in regard to your personal or family troubles? It's amazing how suddenly troubles can come upon us. Perhaps we thought we were having a season of peace and well-being, but then things start happening. Friends disappoint us. Loved ones fail us. Our bodies get afflicted by some illness that changes everything. The job we count on evaporates. The people we cherished are taken away. Everything which we thought which was secure proved to be uncertain and weak. The fact is that perils abound for church and believer alike. Dangers gather and threaten us. The storm is stronger and the sea is mightier than us. It often looks like we're going under. We can't hope to survive the troubles. But then we remember who is in the boat with us. Jesus, the Son of God, sovereign over wind and waves. And then we remind ourselves with Lord's Day 21 that I am and, shall, and forever shall remain a living member of the Holy Catholic Church. I am on this boat for good. Nobody can get me out of here. Yes, you can really say that. You can really know that the church will always remain and that you will always be a member of it. You can know that you'll be kept safe in this ark and that you will reach the desired haven. You can know all of these things because Jesus Christ, sovereign Lord of creation, loves you and is with you and will never fail you or forsake you. God's church will survive and will thrive because Jesus Christ is in her midst through his word and spirit and is protecting her against all the disorder of creation. When you let it all sink in, fear loses its hold on you. Fear of circumstances, fear of people, fear of the future, fear of persecution. All this loses its hold on you because a different kind of fear has come into your heart, a good and wholesome fear, a fear which, ironically, casts out all other fears. So we come to the third point, the emerging doxology. The disciples of Jesus are blown away by what they have witnessed. They now realize that their master is in a different category than they had previously imagined. He's greater by far than they had understood. It's doubtful that these men would have said at this point that Jesus is the eternal and divine son of God. They did not, sorry, they didn't yet have a full-fledged doctrine of the deity of Christ. But they did know for sure that in some way, completely beyond figuring it out, the person and power of God was present in and with Jesus. Verse 41 says that they became very much afraid. No doubt that they were thankful to have their lives saved by Jesus, but that's not their dominant emotion. What fills them now is a sense of reverential awe. They know that they are in the presence of greatness. Greatness of a kind they had never before seen or experienced. It is scary, isn't it, to be so very close to unspeakable power. These men are looking at Jesus now with new eyes, seeing him in a fresh way. Thankful and scared silly all in one. That was their state of mind. What we have here, congregation, is the dawning awareness that Jesus of Nazareth, the person who had been sleeping in the stern of the boat, is none other than God in the flesh. Jesus is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Psalm 65 and Psalm 89 and Psalm 107. The one true God, the creator and redeemer of the world, has come to live and dwell among his people. 
And this God in the flesh is the Savior who is also with us today. He's with his believing church. He's present in power and love, and he's calling us today to take hold of him in renewed faith and confidence. Have no fear, says Jesus, you are mine. I died for you and rose again so that you could be with me now and forever. Nothing will ever separate you from me. Do you see the answer to fear and terror? The answer is doxology. When we think great thoughts of our Savior and Lord, when we lift them up in our prayers, our confession and our songs, dread falls away, and in its place comes the peace that is beyond all understanding. Think about the next time you have trouble in your life. Think about it when the good ship of the church goes through stormy seas. Just sing, shout aloud, say praise God from whom all blessings flow. Fear paralyzes us, but doxology empowers us. By seeing Christ in his glory and confessing this before the world, we are energized for service. Now it becomes possible for us to stay focused, remain on track, and fulfill our calling. We have a job to do in this world, and we can do it because our awesome Lord and Savior is with us. We will sing in a few minutes from hymn 55, Who trusts in God, a strong abode in heaven and earth possesses, who looks in love to Christ above, no fear his heart oppresses. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the singing of Psalm 107, verse 11 and 12. 